Do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and in this podcast, the Do Something Beautiful podcast, I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. And today, today's an awesome day for many reasons, because I don't know, it's a brand new day, right, that God has given us. But it's also uh, for the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We are entering into season two. We wrapped up season one with nine excellent episodes. You can go to iTunes to check those out. And we are starting out season two. And I know it's me talking and this is my podcast. Let me just tell you something. Season two, episode one, this one right here. This is amazing. Starting out with a bang. I'm telling you, my guest today, I can't wait. I'm going to introduce her in just a few minutes. But let me just tell you about her before I bring her on because she won't say all these fantastic things about herself because she's too humble. She's frankly too amazing. I found out about this woman back in January of this year, 2017. And I found out about her because it was during the whole March for Life and everything going on in January that kind of happens all around that stuff. And I found out I was on Twitter and I was posting some stuff about the March for Life and supporting them. And I see this woman get on and she is fierce. I mean, let me tell you something, fierce. And so I look at her and I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this woman? She's fantastic. I look at her. I look at her Twitter profile. Let me just read you a couple lines on her Twitter profile. The very last line is what made me realize that I have to know her and at some, at some point try to make her my best friend because this is what she has to say. I am passionately pro-life, pro-family, pro-marriage, pro-Africa. And at the very last line of her Twitter profile, she says, and yes, I block idiots. So I was like, man, I have got to know this person who absolutely cracks me up because she speaks truth. She is strong. She is brave. And she knows when to block an idiot. So I just couldn't help but be like, I've got I've got to follow her. You should follow her, too. And all of her information is in the description of this episode, her Twitter account and her website that we'll talk about here in a minute. Her name is Obianuji Akocha, and I probably butchered that, and trust me, I'll have her correct me later. But Obianuju is a, oh my gosh, pro-life African advocate. She's fantastic. Her pen tweet on Twitter says, I'm an African woman. I don't need free condoms. I don't need free contraception. I don't need abortion rights. What I need is education. Ugh, I love her. I love her. So we're going to welcome her on to season two, episode one of the Do Something Beautiful podcast here. All right, Obi-Nuju, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Well, Leah, thank you so very much for having me on your, sh- on your show, on your, your wonderful podcast, but also for giving me this incredible intro. I don't know what to do now because I think you've, you've <laughs> gone and exaggerated everything. So I have not I exaggerated anything. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're fantastic. Now, okay. All right. So I'm sure because, you know, I'm this American, I butchered your name. So can you correct me with what I just called you? Oh, Leah, you did well enough. My full name is Obianuju Ekocha, but most people know me as Uju. But I'll tell you a little bit about my my first name, why it's so complicated is that my parents had to use a full sentence. Yeah, it, it is a name from my tribe. I'm from the Igbo tribe. Obianuju means she came in the midst of plenty. That's the name you give to an unplanned baby, but who is welcome anyway. So Obianuju means she came into the midst of a crowd or into the midst of plenty. And, you know, and, and that's, uh, that's the name I've been carrying my whole life. Didn't like it much when I was little, but now that I'm an adult, especially what I, in light of what I do now, 
I love my name. So I'm really sorry. So hard to pronounce. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I have no idea how to say it, but I love it. I mean, now you have a nickname and the nickname is what now? Uju. Uju. That's right. <laughs> Uju. And, and still yeah. my mouth and my tongue is like, what? Uju? <laughs> All right, but we're going to do it. So Uju, you're on here. Now listen, you have, so you are, Uju is the founder president of Culture of Life Africa. And that's a very quick and easy website, cultureoflifeafrica.com, correct? Yes. Okay, so you, right. you found, I mean, you're like, okay, so everybody, well, I don't know, but if you are aware of the pro-life movement in America, some common names will come to you, like definitely Lila Rose, somebody who mm-hmm. is, you know, always very, at, very into the pro-life movement. You're like the Lila Rose of Africa. I mean... <laughs> You, you I mean you are out there. I have watched your videos on YouTube. I have seen you speak to people and delegates at the UN. I mean, you are unbelievably brave. And so you founded this entire foundation and this w- website, Culture of Life Africa. Um, mm-hmm. You're on Twitter as well. Give all that information in the uh, description for this podcast on iTunes. You can find it there and you can connect with Uju there. But so I guess, I mean, why did... Why? Why did you start this? What what happened with that? Precisely. Okay, Leah, I was born and raised in Africa. Like I'm the, the real deal, right? I never stepped out of my country, Nigeria, until I was 24 years old. And the first time I ever stepped out, I went on a pilgrimage. And that was the only chance I had to ever live in my country. But at the age of 26, I moved to England, to the UK, to do a master's degree in biomedical sciences. And afterwards, I stayed working as a biomedical scientist. Now, my parents, um, <laughs> unknown to them. Like they sent me to the UK to do my master's and to work and everybody's proud of me. And so, you know, I'm just this girl chasing my career. Of course, I've always been involved in church as well, but everyone knew me as just this career driven young woman. And, you know, 2006, when I came, I was 26 years old. So you can do the math how old I am now, but I put all my heart and mind into thriving in this, uh, in the science community in the UK. And I got what I wanted because by the age of 10, 31, I was already a specialist in the, in the field. And I'm in the field of hematology and blood transfusion. And okay, I was working let, let me just, let me, let me just, yes. let me just pause for the right. record. I mean, so <laughs> this is why I love you so much. You're so fantastic. I mean, you have got this crazy pro-life advocate who, I mean, you speak about the dignity of human life for every single person. Um, yes. Obviously, being from Nigeria, being from Africa, that, that, that is where your heart resides. But of course, it's all human life everywhere. But on top yes, of that, of you're super duper smart. I mean, you oh, didn't, please. I mean, I mean, you're a biomedical <laughs> scientist. I mean, and just I love this because you are such a I think we we sometimes want to categorize women into only certain categories like you can only do this or you can only do that. <laughs> and you remind me so much of St. Gianna Mola, who was you know, so she yeah. was so many different things. She was a wife. She was a mother. She was a doctor. She's a doctor, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and so you're able to kind of pull everything in here. Okay, so so that's I'm not, sorry. No, no, and I'm continue not just being on. Modest. Honestly, it's not that big a deal. But honestly, I was uh, trying so hard to, <laughs> yeah, right. to achieve as it's much as I could. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love your modesty, but that and that's fine. <laughs> this is why you're better than me. I'd be like, hey, listen, I'm I'm a big deal. I'm a scientist. And, uh, no, but, yeah, but anyway, you know, I was just way into my career here in, in England and still very much connected with my life in Africa because my parents live there. I have all these cousins. They have siblings who are 
in Africa. I have so many siblings who are here in London. But, you know, I had this, this um, what I felt at the time was an amazing life, right? I had everything. I was, uh, you know, just a young woman on my own, doing well professionally. I was happy with my life in the church. You know, it seemed as if everything was in place. And in 2012, something happened. I think God introduced something into my life that <laughs> threw me off balance completely. I don't know if many of your many of your audience would know much about the World Youth Day. Perhaps you have a lot of audience who who have quite in, an interest in the World Youth Day. But I had gone for the World Youth Day of 2011, the World Youth Day of Madrid, where you know that was Pope Benedict's last World Youth Day, if anybody right. would remember. But I was there and I remember praying at that event during the benediction for a mission. I don't know what came over me, but I felt God just give me a mission because it's as if everything was perfect in my life. I was earning well. I was happy. I was, you know, I was living in England, but I was also was Af- purely African. So I had like the best of all worlds. I had the best of the right. professional life. I had the best of a home life. I had so it I, And you're still sitting there at World Youth Day praying and for praying a mission for from God. A mission for a mission, right? I didn't know what it was going to be, but I thought, okay, if I tell God I want a mission, perhaps he would make me a catechist or something nice and cool, right? Where <laughs> nobody would hate me. But a couple of months later, it wasn't a year, it wasn't quite a year, but getting to a year to the to the day I prayed that prayer. It was the the night before the Feast of Transfiguration, and I was sitting in my house watching the television. I never watched CNN, but for some reason that night I switched on CNN, and I was I was watching no one other than Melinda Gates, the wife of Bill Gates, speaking to someone on a show. It was Christina Mampo, I believe, and they were having this interview, like a fifteen minute interview they gave her, and she was doing her big contraception program where she was launching for Africa. So. Just to cut this whole thing short, I got very upset hearing her talk about how she was going to raise $5 billion to bring in contraception into Africa. And I felt this is wrong because I am this African girl that I think I had it all. And yet I'm so connected to the people in Africa that I know that if there was one thing that we wish for in Africa is an opportunity for education, right? I had gotten to where I got because of God, obviously, but also because God allowed me to pursue an education that got me the best of what I wanted at the time. So I thought, no, this can't be right. And then I couldn't go to bed that night. This was late at night. And I started writing at about 11 p.m., typing out on my phone the reasons why Melinda Gates, the wife of Bill Gates, should not bring in contraception the way she wanted to African women. This is what we need. This is what we need. This is what we need. And then this ended up being a 2000 word article that eventually then became the let, the open letter to Melinda Gates. I don't know if some of your viewers have heard of it, but it did go viral at the time. In yes, I saw that. I saw right. that. And I didn't realize this until much later that I yeah. had read that back in 2012, this open right. letter to Melinda Gates, because she <laughs> and Bill Gates, but she's taking it upon herself yeah. to go and and help reduce poverty. And really, I guess, in my opinion, yes. her way to reduce poverty in Africa is just to reduce Africans. The poor people. Yeah, that's it. Just I mean, eliminate poverty by eliminating the poor. It felt to me like it was a very, you know, a terrible project. It was a bad idea on many, many levels. But, you know, I just wrote it that night. I, I believe it was God-inspired, but 
I wrote it with every skill I had, with everything I could muster, with all my knowledge in science. I was uh, approaching it from all kinds of angles. I was approaching it from a scientific point of view. I was approaching it from an anthropological and sociological point of view as an African woman who had lived within the dynamics of the African society. And, you know, this letter went out, you know, went first to, I sent it to, to Teresa Tomier of EWTN and, and she read it on her show and everything then just became history because it went viral. The Vatican then picked it up, the Pontifical Council for the Laity at the time, and, and then translated it, but it just went everywhere. And that was really the beginning of this thing called Culture of Life Africa, because I realized, oh dear, I'm in trouble because I had to defend... <laughs> <laughs> Let me just go back. I love the fact that back in 2011, you're at World Youth Day. You're praying for a mission from God. Yeah. And part of your prayer is, but please don't put me in something where people will hate me. I, lo- no. I love that prayer. I don't want to be hated. No, I don't no, want to I be just hated. Want to be cool. Nobody wants to be hated. But you realize really yeah. quickly that when you start working for the Lord in whatever capacity, if your heart is truly on um, geared with or fueled by God's will, if that's always what you're seeking, that you have to yeah. kind of accept the mentality of haters are going to hate, right? I mean, that's oh, a little yeah. too modern of a statement, that's, but it's true. You're going right. to get haters. You're going to get people who who will disagree and who, who will not mm. like because there's a culture of death out there that wants to yeah. enslave women, enslave the poor, and to making they feel like that they're less than so they can be reduced to just objects or things or just to nothing and not exist at all. That's right, my dear. That is really, I mean, you, you, I couldn't say it any better. You know, and this was really what what started me off on the journey, and and since then I have then just diversified. Like it's as if I started off this thing right without knowing whether there was a pro life movement in Africa. I, I was not part of the pro life movement. I was always pro life. That I have to say, I was always strongly against abortion, strongly, um, you know, against this attitude that people have in the world, especially in the modern world, that women need contraception to make them whole, to, you know, to make them accepted or to feel, make them feel empowered. I felt that I was feminist, right, in my, within my own right. I was a woman who determined everything I did and every, you know, how I spent my money, how I made my money. But I, I felt women, it's a lie that a woman needs contraception to be able to make her powerful because, you know, that's not what feminism, true feminism is anyway. But anyway, I then thought I started working with them. Um, the uh, Afri- some of the African bishops in my country, some bishops had sent for me, right? And then they started sending for my writings. And I, I then got into this unofficial role of kind of advising on issues that have to do with women, on issues that have to do with uh, on, on human life and sanctity of human life. And then from the Catholic bishops in Nigeria, I started working with other bishops' conferences. I've worked with some in Ghana. I've worked with with some of the bishops in Cameroon, I've worked with with people in the, the bishops in Uganda. So then I started making these presentations. I would then be invited sometimes when bishops are having their meeting. Very, very intimidating that I had to now start making these presentations, right? Sometimes when bishops are having their plenary meeting, then I come in and, and give a talk <laughs> to bishops. So you know, for did, <laughs> now, okay, Uji, did you do any public speaking prior to this? Now, I did do a little bit of not so much public speaking. I was doing at the time, I was actually just starting off on this research path. So I would go to science conferences, blood transfusion science uh, science conferences in the UK, and I'll make presentations. So I had made presentations, but just in the science field. Just as you being a scientist, but not in the area of the pro-life. 
So all of a sudden, this mission turns into (laughs) Culture of Life Africa. And then you're... That's right. Then... This was crazy. Then you are advising Catholic bishops in Africa. You're not just Catholic bishops. You're advising people. You're advising African members of parliament, African United Nations delegates, ambassadors. (laughs) I mean, this isn't just, hey, I just gave some advice to my local parish priest. I mean, (laughs) God is using you and using your entire background, everything of who you are and and where he has brought you to become a voice for Africa, a voice for the pro-life movement around the world, that we need to defend the beauty and sanctity of all life from conception to natural death. To natural death. That is right. And let me just say one thing, which is really important here, that if God could use me, I tell you, he can use anybody. Like I get to find that out on a day-to-day basis, right? That now that, you know, when things are happening in some African countries that I can call up a particular bishop on his phone and tell him, your grace, this is what is going on. And this is what I advise you to do. And many times they take my advice. That means that God can actually use anybody of any age. <laughs> if, if you only will agree that you will put all your skills and all your talents and every training you've ever got at the disposal of God's mission, whatever that it is that he, he probably has in mind. But this is how my work has developed over time. And I tell you, it's still developing because what has happened is that I came to realize that this all started with me seeing Melinda Gates, you know, of me noticing for the first time that what Melinda Gates was doing was completely opposed to the progress of Africa. It wasn't even a joke. I felt what this woman was doing, not only is it not going to be completely useless to the African women that he, she's bringing in $5 billion worth of contraception, I felt that it was going to be inimical to the general project of development that Africa has been seeking since, you know, the colonial days. So I started studying about it because I realized I don't really know that much as I do with my science. I don't know that much about this area. I started going to the United Nations. I started, you know, attending meetings. I started meeting up with members of parliament in in different countries where it is possible. And then just watching the pro-life movement in America I will just give America this, your pro-life movement, even though you all feel perhaps it's like a local movement, you know, the Lila Roses, the Abbey Johnsons, these people, even you, Leah, I listened to you several times on Catholic Answers, just watching what, how the Americans are serving the mission in this really beautiful and innovative way. I felt in my mind, oh God, this is what I have to do for Africa. You know, this is how I have to bring this message to young people in Africa so that they know that they can actually fight this big movement, which is a bunch of Western players, a bunch of Western entities like organizations, Bill Gates and Melinda Gates are only one of many. You know, there's Judge Soros, there's all these people who put in their money to one place, which is to, to change completely the social structures in Africa, to destroy the family, to destroy the values that the Africans have. And that's just, you know, these are the battles that I have been trying to pick one after the other. It's not always very easy, but I keep doing that. I keep doing that. And I keep doing that. And there's many other people doing it as well. So, but we are all doing it for one thing that Africa can be allowed to thrive, you know, because the time has come for Africans to thrive. People, African kids should be allowed. Yeah. to, To get education. And when we have education, then everything else, we decide for ourselves. what we Right. And whatever needs that Africa has and, and, you know, there, there still are some, 
don't you find it interesting of how when Western half of the world here thinks that they're going to solve all of Africa's problems, hmm. but by just reducing the number of Africans versus giving more, I, I just, I mean, there's more money spent on quote family planning oh, than yes. there are medicines and food mm. and water yeah. or building wells, whatever it might be. So, I mean, I think that's very interesting though. And not a lot of people know that, that a lot of the organizations that are federally funded too, or these mm. private organizations like Bill and Melinda yeah. Gates, that they're going out for these family planning and family planning is just code word for contraception and abortion. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it is population control, plain and simple. Uh, and they continue to do it with impunity. And yes, I just say this too. The Mexico City policy has just been reinstated by President Donald Trump. That is an amazing thing. That only just happened within the last month or so. Right. But it is one step that America is taking as a nation to respecting the dignity and sanctity of human life of other people, especially people in Africa. Because all through the last regime, all through the Obama administration, a lot of money was coming through the International Planned Parenthood Federation. I think I had a little chat with you before we went on record that you were saying to me that you didn't quite know that Planned Parenthood existed outside America. And we better let your, your listeners know that International Planned Parenthood Federation is a massive abortion monster. Absolutely. The, the ver- yeah, the version you have, PPFA, the Planned Parenthood Federation of America, is only one child, right? Probably the first daughter of this uh, of this monstrous organization that right. has branches all over the continent of Africa. Yeah, and, Planned and Parenthood by- is not just in the United States. And that's no, a very common over. misconception. I think, yeah. I think, a lot of Americans think that it's just a almost local uh, no. thing, like like it's just yeah. in the U.S. There, is, it's IPPF, it's an International yeah. Planned Parenthood Planned Federation, Parenthood. Federation right. and it's all over. It's all over the world trying to eliminate really certain groups mm-hmm. of people more than others. That is right. That is right. And you can imagine if in America people have said, uh, and provably so, that Planned Parenthood Federation of America targets Black communities and, you know, Hispanic and Black communities disproportionately. Imagine what they are doing on a continent where it's mostly Black people. Right. These people are working overtime. They are, you know, they are using uh, funding gotten from different governments, America being one up until recently, we hope. But they also get money from European Union and many of the European countries. But what they do when they go out to Africa they spread, you know, they spread the, the the toxic waste, which is all that they have to offer, which is abortion contraception and also a very dangerous and poisonous version of sexuality education that they call the, the comprehensive sexuality education. It's not being heard much of in America because I, I suppose, you know, they get their, their money from abortion in America. But in places like Africa and different, you know, different African countries, IPPF has been involved in the propagation of this thing called comprehensive sexuality education, which is nothing other than pornographic. It's in, in the most disturbing version of human sexuality. They are trying to get this into African schools. But I tell well, that that, that's, to, that makes yeah, the exact point that, you know, it, well, here's what's so disgusting about it. This International Planned yeah. Parenthood Federation is that they clearly mm-hmm. know they have to start with education and they have to yes. educate Africans in Africa, and there's over 11,000 yeah. service centers of this International Planned Parenthood Federation yeah. in Africa. 
And they have to start with education to basically to undo in their minds that sex should just be like a playground, that it should involve pornography and and all Mm -hmm. these other, you know, deviations of what true sexuality really is. And so it's Mm -hmm. just interesting that they're starting with education there to basically undo everything that probably tradition and families and tribes are teaching their children and teaching their families. And these these organizations, they actually don't want to put money into real education, but they want to educate you in their disordered view of sexuality. That is right. They, you know, continue to tell young people in Africa that the most important thing for them is to learn how to, you know, to learn their sexual and reproductive health and rights, to learn their reproductive justice. Well, that is wrong because our parents and our grandparents have already taught us the values, right? They've already given us what I believe to be real treasure. That's in Africa's, you know, disadvantages and all the poverty and limitations we have in Africa. The one thing I know that we have, the one thing I know that I inherited is the set of values that my parents and my grandparents gave me. And I'm not in any way special. This is this is most tribes in Africa. We we are quite traditional, you know, in understanding of human life, in understanding of marriage, in even in understanding of something like sex right? That parents always prefer that, that their children be married before any, you know, any form of sex occurs. So the Africans have all these things woven into their tradition, into their language, into their culture, even into people's names, as you, as I told you about my name, right? It's, it's our values have been completely merged with our way of life so much that the only way these Western organizations can get to people is to go lower and lower and lower. Like, to our lowest schools, the nursery school, the primary schools, those are their real targets. Now, they're not even bothering to try to convince the populations because they can't. It's We are overwhelmingly pro-life. We are overwhelmingly pro-marriage between man and woman. We are overwhelmingly against uh, this kind of distorted view of, of gender and sexuality. So they are now looking for ways to get into primary schools, to get into nursery schools, to get into secondary schools, to get condom projects going And that's what I'm fighting every day. It's amazing. I mean, it's disgusting to see what they're doing (laughs) at such a young age, too. And I mean, and the same thing is going on here in the States. And, you know, it's happening in the school systems, especially with public schools taking on a lot of Planned Parenthood's educational resources Mm -hmm. as a part of their, you know, human sexuality talks. And they're pretty yeah. disgusting. But I mean, it, it starts, it's, it, you're right. It starts at a very young age of trying to get people to have this distorted view of sexuality. So by the mm-hmm. time sex or something comes around and the mm-hmm. areas of abortion, it's no big deal. It's just nothing. Yes. It's nothing. Because when you dehumanize and, mm-hmm. you know, and you devalue a person or an act, then yeah. you have no problem. And let me tell you something. This is all about money, right? This just comes back to like making more money for more organizations and just feeds that disgusting, dirty well of society Mm. that we're really called out of. But you've been you've been a voice and a champion for for Africans, for women, especially you've been speaking boldly about about the pro-life movement there and promoting that and to making sure that people know that, hey, listen, we don't want and and not people, but countries and and continents like, hey, we don't want your money for abortion Mm -hmm. or for condoms or for contraception. What we need is education. What we need is taking care of our people in these ways that actually will educate them and empower them. And I guess, I mean, you embody my hope for this entire podcast of doing something beautiful. And you remind me so much of Mother Teresa's comment and her quote of, she said, (laughs) um, 
She says that we have forgotten that we belong to one another. And mm-hmm. Uji, like you, you remind us, like your voice and your presence on social media, your writings, and you, you, you know, giving offering advice to UN delegates and Catholic bishops and L and you know people of Parliament remind us that we are connected, that what we do does matter, and what we do here in America does affect you in Africa or you in London or wherever you might be in the world, any person in the world that we do affect one another and we really can do something beautiful for if we just give our gifts back to God and allow him to work through us. I mean, again, I keep going back to kind of like how you started on this because I think it's really important because Mm -hmm. so many people, and I'm sure you get this all the time too, so many people will ask me or ask others, how do I do what you do? Or how can I do something to help others or impact the world? And Mm -hmm. as your story is fantastic, you said a prayer, you offered up your heart to the Lord, Lord, I want to be a missionary for you, Lord, give Mm -hmm. me a mission. And that is something so important, because we are called as Christians to become missionaries for Christ. I mean, oh, absolutely. It says absolutely. it right this there in it. Matthew yeah. 28. I mean, yeah. Yeah. God, I mean, Christ commissions each one, one of us to yeah. preach the good news. And we do that in our own special, unique way that God gives us with our own backgrounds yeah. and whatever. But it took something very simple. It's just like you just said a prayer and then you allow that time of God to kind of just work in your life and your heart. And then that one moment where something struck you and when you saw, you know, Melinda Gates on TV and it struck you that, hey, listen, that's not what Africa needs. And you responded and something as simple as just responding to the Lord, the Lord's call for, you know, for what's in your heart has, has ignited this, has ignited this entire foundation, has ignited the culture of life Africa. I mean, that's awesome. Well, that is God, you know, that, that shows that God can use anyone and for any reason. So I, many times I say, well, thank you, Melinda Gates. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, I would never have chosen this mission. I would never. I mean, I've always, I've always been pro-life, but it would have looked so daunting to me. Where would I start? But it was just the way, it, how impromptu that the the letter was, and how God took it out right into the world, and and it has become something beautiful, as you say. It's not always easy, but God continues to show the ways that. Each day we can serve him, right? Because sometimes I don't even know what I'm going to do like the next month. I know that now I do a lot of public speaking. If anyone wonders, I still work as a scientist, by the way. So so it was even though I know I was kind of afraid of what this was going to do to my life, but somehow God has made it possible for me to do both. I still work as a biomedical scientist, still up to, uh, yeah, I was at work last night. So I worked at night shift last night and I still am doing that and serving in that way professionally to keep my parents happy when my education <laughs> was for something. <laughs> so so you are still working as a scientist there. in England right now. And yes. I know that you give talks all over the world. I mean, so yes. I mean, a couple of things. Um, so for you now being thrown into like you are in just the center of pro-life awesomeness. I mean, <laughs> so but but you also see the enemy right i mean you're you're t- you're toe to toe i mean with the culture of oh, death gosh. so oh absolutely what i mean what gives you hope mm-hmm. right what gives me hope is that we we have the truth right it's it's that god at the end of the day he is going to to come through for us and we know that right so that gives me a lot of hope i see a lot of evil you're right i go for a lot of the un meetings you're right i i have been at meetings where they were plotting and planning on how to to make abortion like a global universal right, as they call it. But 
I still walk away thinking, oh gosh, you know, you're never going to get 100% of the Africans. You're never going to to move this needle in Africa. They're trying to bribe a lot of our politicians, I know. But whenever I go back to Africa, I always feel God given me some consolation because I speak in a school or to a group of people or even to politicians. And you see that our people have not yet been corrupted to the point of being ideologically won over or ideologically colonized completely, or as I I would put it, ideologically annexed by these Western forces, you know, these Western forces coming with all their money. So it gives me a lot of hope because one, the people, the people know the truth. And it's just for us to be able to get the truth to them and to be able to tell them how to defend themselves and their families and their little children from the forces of the culture of death. But also knowing that every time we pray, God continues to strengthen our mission. God continues to direct us in the right way and the right path or on a day-to-day basis. So it gives me lots of hope. And the American pro-life movement as well gives me a lot of hope because I see all the beautiful things happening in it. And, and I take a lot of strength just watching the Americans do what they do. And they do it very well. Well, I thank you. I, <laughs> on behalf of America, I thank, <laughs> thank you. I'm sure, I'm sure America pro-life wants me talking for them, you know. So you, but you do come to the stage, you come to America to talk quite frequently. In fact, you're going to be yeah. in Ohio, March 10th and 11th. Is that correct? Yeah, this, this weekend, actually. Yeah, Friday, I'll be speaking uh, the Cleveland Right to Life uh, convention. They call the, the Bring America Back to Life convention. So I'll be there, but I come to America all the time. I'm going to be at the United Nations in three weeks in New York. So so I come to America probably about five or six times a year. I'll be speaking at the APLOG event this year, the Association of uh, Pro-Life Doctors, uh, OBGYNs, isn't it? The American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, APLOG. I'll be speaking at the conference this year. Um, yeah. So I, so I guess just no big deal. No so big often. deal. Just some of the bigger doctors in America. No, no problem. I know her. No, but yeah. it's <laughs> but it's always a pleasure to get to see people. And if anyone knows uh, or is nearby, I'd love to to speak to anyone who has listened to me on your show. And if a person pointed out, I'll be very, very pleased. I'm, I'm actually quite accessible. I'm not a star or anything. So I would love to chat with anyone who has listened to Leah and has heard my voice today. So it's, um, it is a a lot. And and the best way to get a hold of you is either Twitter or your website, cultureoflifeafrica.com. Is that correct? Yeah, that is right. So, yeah. And then, okay. So I I got other like really important questions here. I have to ask you. So when you come to America, let me ask you a few things. Do you like our food? Oh, gosh, I love American food. It's always a problem for me because I come back and I feel, oh, I've, I think I've added a little weight. <laughs> right. Yeah. We have a problem with that in America. You know, the whole yeah, fried so thing I, and lots and lots of cheese. Yeah. Is there, is there, um, do you have a favorite American food? Oh, a favorite American food. I, I don't know. People take me out to steakhouses and such. I don't think you would call that American food per se, but it's just like Americans you guys have the most amazing. Food. Yeah. It's like. If your restaurants, what I love best about your your restaurants is that they serve really, really massive portions on like what, what I get here in the UK. <laughs> in the UK, we go to the restaurants, all small food, and you have to act very civilized. But then I go to America, and it's like this massive steak, this massive, massive, massive steak, and I, I just sit down and eat it all. <laughs> there are so many things wrong with that statement, but it's so true. We have so much food, and it's so sad because we have all this food. We have these huge servings, and I don't mean to like bring down the 
the fun banter, but there are so many people that are still starving in the world and are hungry and have no food. It's like, what are we doing? And I love my country. I love it. I am just, I love America through and through. Are you kidding me? I love it. But I'm just like, really? Really, America? Really? I mean, I think we could, I mean, there are more donut shops in my town than there are libraries or places where you could go and sit and like enjoy a park or something, you know? Uh, yeah, so yeah. anyway, it's just, it's just kind of crazy, but that's good to know. So the restaurants and the, we take you always out to steak dinners, like somebody needs to like get you into something else. It's kind of funny. Americans always think like they're the best at everything, especially when it comes to steak. And then <laughs> from what I hear that other parts of the world that actually do that better, but um, yeah, that's good to know. Well, listen, what is something that you can tell women mm-hmm. in terms of like, being able to take on a mission and to do something like what you're doing. Like, I'm sure that like, I'm sure you thought and you've already admitted, like, you know, I mean, you were just going along with your life and it was a good life. There's nothing wrong with it. And there still isn't anything wrong with it. Like you went for your education, you went and you cut your master's, you're, you're a biomedical scientist, you're working there in England. I mean, you're doing all these things. And then God ended up saying you opened up your heart to the Lord. And then God planted this beautiful seed of mission in your heart to do this, this work in the pro-life movement. And I just feel like today, so many young women, and I'll just speak for here in the United States, but I assume it's all over, but women have been attacked through many different means and many different ways of feeling less than and feeling like all we have to offer is just the exterior or our bodies, which Mm -hmm. is actually a part of the abortion agenda. Because if you think that your body is all that you got to offer, then pregnancy or a baby would be a threat Mm -hmm. to your very existence and life because your worth is based in the exterior. And so I think so many women today, though, believe that that what that they can't really do anything to help others or themselves or the church or society by your very life. And the beautiful things that you're doing are proving them wrong. Like, what can you tell young women who have that desire, but are scared and have that fear, you know, of of not wanting to step forward? Right. I would say this, right? The first time I got into this hole, like when I wrote that letter, I was 32 years old. I know some of your listeners might be younger than that, but 32 years handling an entire continent, it's kind of a big deal, right? But I tell you what, if I could do it, it just came to me over this period where God was kind of bringing me right into the movement, into the movement. It's one letter one open letter to Melinda Gates, and then next to them writing a blog, and then next to them advising bishops. No matter your age, if you decide to offer God everything you are and everything you have as a young woman, God can use you to turn around like things at the highest level. And I, I don't even say this lightly. During the synod, right? During the synod, when everybody was talking about this synod in Rome, I thought to myself, I was not on the Vatican list for, you know, people, lay people uh, invited. So perhaps someone is thinking, well, I've never been invited by my bishop. I've never had any formal invitation, even by my parish priest. And I'm here sitting in England thinking, what can I do? Leah, you know what I did? I I just, I prayed, right? And and I said to God, I'm going to use the bit of my savings to go out to Rome with all this money, right? And I'm going to throw a dinner party for African bishops who are at the synod. I just called it that. And one of the nights I had 25 people. There were synod fathers sitting at my dinner table in Rome, right? I went to this restaurant with the little money that I had. It wasn't, I wasn't being sponsored by anyone, right? This is the power of one and anybody 
can do it depending on how you offer it to God and, and what God permits according to his will. But I went out to Rome and I, I threw a party for the bishops. But the point of this party was for the bishops to come out of the synod, have a place to rest, right? That dinner party. But I also invited all kinds of pro-life leaders from around the world. And I was telling them, please tell my bishops, you know, what's going on. And that was very productive, that one meeting. But I've had so many things like this where I feel, oh, I don't have an official letter. But I'm not I'm not on a, a Vatican, whatever. I'm not on the list. I'm not, you know, I, I don't know anybody at Ibn But you just, God just says to you, can you, can you decide to, to do a, a little party, a little get together, whatever is in your strength, for these group of people and go out and invite them graciously and I'll take care of the rest. And that's what he does. So things that would affect nations or states or even your own little town, mm-hmm. just think about it that God can somehow show you how you can share in the responsibility of defending life, of defending human dignity, of defending um, the faith. You know, it, it depends on what, what it is, but you can be blessed if, if you can see that way. You can be blessed by responsibility beyond your own thinking, where you come out of it and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I just hosted Synod Fathers. What happened? <laughs> that right. was not official, but all these Synod Fathers came and these are, it was not an official dinner, but then it, it, it happened. And they were, they were Catholic bishops and then they went out to the Synod and they gave really powerful statements, really wonderful interventions during this Synod that was so controversial but everybody kept hearing the African Synod Fathers are strong and we're seeing all these articles coming out of the Synod. I'm not taking responsibility for it, but I know that I did try to influence my bishops as much as I could. But anybody can do that at whatever level and in whatever environment, but try to see the problems happening in society from the mind of God or with the eyes of God. If someone is bringing in a Planned Parenthood into your community, think about it more strategically. Should you be talking to to like the the mayor, should you be, you know, ask for a meeting, do right. something. And, 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 and I think you're right. Like when you see when you see organizations or groups or thinking or teachings that yeah. completely go against human dignity yes. at any level, yes. start thinking, you know, strategically about what you can do, where That's you're right. at and who you yeah. need to talk to. Because let me tell you something. Just complaining about it on Facebook isn't mm-hmm. going to get mm-hmm. you anywhere. Start thinking no. about the people that you need to reach out to and yes. do that. Write the letter, write the blog, write the open yeah. letter as you did to Melinda Gates. You wrote an open letter yes. to Melinda Gates and it went viral. And I yes. am here now talking to you today and all of the listeners, everybody here, you're listening to this amazing woman because she she just did her tiny part and her tiny part is helping hundreds of thousands, millions of people all around the world. and. If God can use Uji, he can use you. And if he can use me, he can use you. It doesn't matter, but you just have to get up and you have to do your part because we belong to one another. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. We do. We do. We belong to one another and God has called us. We are a, we are one human race. We are one human family and together we really can do something beautiful for the Lord. Amen. Amen to that. Well, listen, I want to make sure that everybody knows as well where they can get a hold of you. Again, once again, all of this information, the Twitter and the website will be available in the uh, bio description here for this podcast. But the main thing is the website is cultureoflifeafrica.com. And you can go on there. You can get information. The most important button I think you need to push if, and I, it's my podcast, so I'll just tell you what, what I think. Why not, right? is to press that donate button. I'm actually on it right now. It's on my screen. 
I got my donate. I got my amount. I'm hitting PayPal. I'm going to be donating before the end of this podcast. Even well, thank up. you. <laughs> and and we need to donate and we need to help um, this amazing woman right here continue the fight, the pro-life fight in Africa and in the world. So if you or you're thinking, I want to do something, what can I do? Here's something you can do. I don't care if it's five bucks. People, come on. We belong to one another. Go help. And you can sit there and you can donate right there. Cultureoflifeafrica.com. And I just, I mean, and I truly mean this. I am so thankful that you took the time to talk to us and to share your love and your passion for the Lord and for all life and the human dignity that every single person possesses because they've been made in the image and likeness of God. And thank you for answering that call. Thank you for praying that prayer 2011 at World Youth Day. Thank you for being open to what the Lord did for you. Thank you for writing the letter to Melinda Gates. Thank you for getting up every day and just living your life for this beautiful cause because we love you. You are my sister. You are our sister. And I am so proud to call you my sister. Well, thank you so much, Leah. This is so very, very touching for me. And this is the whole point of the universal church. You know, God calls us all. Doesn't matter the race, the tribe, the tongue, the nation. We are all one uh, if we look at it as people trying to extend the kingdom of God, people trying to establish the civilization of love and the culture of life. So thank you so much. Ah, you are welcome. I couldn't have said it better. I couldn't end any better than that. Thank you so much for listening to the Do Something Beautiful podcast, season two, episode one. Oh, we have been blessed. We have been blessed with a very good start to this season. Thank you so much, Uji, for everything that you've done for us, inspiring our hearts and inspiring the world with your passion for life. Thank you. All right. God bless. And we will see you next time. God bless.